Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. Welcome to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. The topic in this series is on blockchain. In this episode, we'll cover what's the latest on digital currencies, tokenization, and what this could mean for the future of taxation. Hello, I'm your host, Peter Zing, from the technology and growth team in KPMG's deals, tax, and legal business. And I'm joined by Max Soyreff, Associate Director in our blockchain team, and Julian Humphrey, uh, to partner in our tax transformation team. Thank you for both for joining us. It's good to be here, Pete. Thanks for having us, Pete. Thank you. And in our previous podcast, uh, in the 20 predictions for the next 20 years, uh, we covered on what it would mean to have a digital currency around the world and uh, what a programmable money would mean. So in this episode, we'll actually go deep, delve deeper into this. Um, you know, countries around the world are considering implementing their own central bank digital currencies in the wake of the trouble Libra that was introduced by Facebook. And China has advanced their developments in the release of the digital yuan that's coming out later this year. And the U.S. is seriously considering how to implement their own digital currency to retain the dominance of the U.S. dollar in global trade. In January this year, the World Economic Forum gathered insights from central bank researchers all around the world, um, looking at over 40 institutions to create this central bank digital currency policy maker toolkit. It sets out key opportunities and key challenges, alternative solutions identified by governments, regulators in the implementation of a CDBC, or a central bank digital currency. The Reserve Bank of Australia has been sceptic of the demand in Australia for a central bank digital currency in its submission to the Senate Committee in December last year, but has since been pressured to advance the developments in recent meetings in the Senate Select Committee on FinTech and RegTech. So... With that background, Max, can you tell us what's the difference between what we have now as a currency in Australia compared to a central bank digital currency? I think it's a great question, Pete. I think uh, we've had quite a bit of news happening about central bank digital currencies, and I think it's important to try and better understand what is it and uh, what does it do and how it's different from what we have today. So the majority of the money we have today is either um, cash notes that are issued directly by the Central Bank of Australia, uh, as well as... Uh, the commercial bank liability which is sitting in our bank accounts which is basically here because of the fractional uh, reserve banking system uh, the central bank digital currency will see potentially central banks uh, directly create money in a digital form and uh, provide it to the individuals in the economy um, that can take form of an account-based design where we as individuals may take accounts with the central banks in the future or it can become uh, a token-based design where uh, central bank will create something very similar to a, a cryptocurrency or a digital currency and uh, share the tokens with individual wallets that people have. Uh, I think, as you rightly point out, central banks have been talking about it for the last couple of years. Uh, with Libra announcing their work last year, there's definitely have been a little bit of acceleration. Uh, definitely you hear uh, People Banks of China talking about potential for um, this vehicle, as well as Bank of Japan um, saying that there is some research that needs to happen. Uh, I think a lot of central banks have been vocal about that we need to find out more, um, all the specific implementations that will work and not work are not yet entirely clear. 
So is this a, a case of fear of missing out? Because why why are the central banks wanting to implement this uh, across their board? And what's what would be the benefits of a central bank digital currency? Well, I think um, they can be quite diverse. Uh, I think definitely there is acceleration and something new is happening in the world. Uh, what Facebook has done is effectively announced to the world that large corporates might become issuers of their own currencies. And whether we think that Facebook could or could not stand up to regulatory scrutiny uh, with that initiative, uh, I think a lot of the central banks uh, started looking at, well, aha, maybe we should be doing something in that space. Uh, and I think that really has accelerated some of those discussions. Uh, so fear of missing out is definitely it. Uh, I think if you look specifically at China's strategy, and I think there is a lot of rumors and not a lot of specifics at the moment, but I think that's very much aligned with China's economy really trying to digitize their payment landscape. Uh, it's quite uh, modern and mature already. And I think what China is doing with their initiatives is trying to align what they're doing in China already with some of the countries in the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, but I think coming to the advantages of uh, central bank digital currencies, I think it's about having a very efficient and fast uh, payment network. Uh, it's about being able to connect um, transactions uh, to each other or to asset exchange in uh, the term that's called atomic swaps, and which means uh, things kind of happen all or nothing uh, when the transaction executes. Uh, and I think as you probably spoke on your podcast about the potential for programmable money. Now, I think you mentioned some of the skepticism coming from the RBA, and I think what they're saying is a lot of this could be feasible with our national payments platform. Uh, so I think for some economies and some central banks, it's quite important to look at what is the ecosystem they have today and whether central bank digital currency makes sense for them or they can actually just improve the existing infrastructure that they have in their banking sector. Okay. Thanks, Max. And Julian, you know, from a perspective of financial services and also from a tax lens, you know, what are your thoughts of what this sort of central bank digital currency is promising to do and what could that mean for the Australian economy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, if we think about it, say, in the context of the tax office's um, initiatives around the black economy, okay, um, you know, the, the question here is whether having a digital currency that enables transactions to be tracked um, is a mechanism or a way of providing um, an additional layer of integrity in the system. So if we think about it at the moment, a lot of the black economy um, might be talked about as being the cash economy. There's certainly a lot of initiatives that the tax office has around um, identifying and accessing information of the um, transactions that happen in the economy through electronic means. So, um, for example, um, you know, there are rules around the reporting of transactions that go through um, FPOS machines. Okay, so the tax office already has access to that sort of electronic information. It, you know, it, it has the ability to, um, with a digital currency, enable the tracking of um, that money through the system in a way that doesn't happen really with um, cash at the moment, other than through the, um, the sort of traditional Austrac cash reporting requirements. Yeah, well, that's that's great. So that means that um, the black economy uh, could be diminished uh, as a result through the implementation of this, because we'll have visibility across and track and tracing every dollar spent that's issued by the Reserve Bank throughout the economy uh, as it goes along. Yeah, and 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 certainly, I think you know, if if I think about it from a tax perspective, you know, taxation is 
um, levied certainly when it comes to income tax um, on a net basis. So we, we don't think about tan the, the, the taxation of individual transactions. Mm -hmm. So whilst you get visibility of transactions that are going on, um, those transactions are not typically the unit of taxation themselves, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's access to the information about the transactions that, that enables the revenue authority to um, determine compliance, but it doesn't necessarily lead to, to a unit of, of taxation itself. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's the same when you think about GST. Mm -hmm. So although, you know, we think about, uh, we, we talk about GST as being being a transactional tax, um, at the end of the day, um, those that are registered for GST pay a net amount to the revenue each GST period, um, remitting GST on um, supplies and, and, and services that they've, they've made themselves, but claiming input tax credits on um, on inputs. Mm, yeah, um, you'd have for the taxpayers to be out of the money when they're actually making purchases to acquire the, the supply and inventory before they actually create the sales on, on the other side. Correct, yeah. correct. So so then maybe, you know, you start thinking about what it could mean in the context of um, situations where there are, you know, where it is the transaction itself that um, is subject to taxation. And so you, know, you get into sort of the, the customs and excise mm -hmm. space where um, actually the transactions themselves are, are, are subject to tax and, and maybe there's some opportunities there. Mm -hmm. It's certainly interesting, Pete, coming back to you, and, and you mentioned the central bank um, digital currency policymaker toolkit um, that, that was released um, by the World Economic Forum in January. Um, it, it's interesting that the word tax appears in that toolkit just once. So certainly it's not a um, taxation lens that's at, at the forefront here. Yeah, definitely. I think tax is usually at the uh, the last uh, thought that, that people usually have at the uh, tax return time. And as we experience with, um, you know, <laughs> what we do every day, but also um, you know, it kind of reminds me of the World Wide Web at the, in the early days. You know, we you didn't know what to do really with the internet, and it's about the use cases that come through down the track. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But at the moment, it's very early days in terms of the thinking on central bank digital currencies. On your point around um, things like customs and, and looking at the goods and services, um, there is also the notion of tokenization of products and goods and services themselves. So Max, do you know? Do you want to do a quick uh, overview yep. of what tokenization is? So um, tokenization is effectively uh, creating, taking physical or uh, intangible assets and creating a digital representation uh, of them uh, and uh, really has taken off more and more as we started to operate in the distributed economies where multiple organizations collaborate with each other. And uh, tokenization allows us to effectively create a digital twin of an item and then track uh, not just its properties, but its ownership. And I think coupled with something uh, like a payment system that may have atomic transactions, we are starting to see opportunities to effectively have uh, much more efficient settlement systems, much more efficient uh, exchange of value between parties. Um, obviously, you don't necessarily need to use distributed ledger for that. Uh, but I think there's definitely an opportunity in the future to take out some inefficiencies in what we have today and I think you talk about you know classification and uh, I think Julian you mentioned obviously customs and um, I think we've been looking at things like potential free trade um, classification in relation to assemblies and parts uh, of things going from you know uh, one input into something larger and the more complex those rules be become 
what um, tokenization of assets enables you to do is to have those rich data sets. And I think it's about what you do with the data, as Julian, you very much rightly point out, is uh, not just knowing that the transaction occurs, but what is the underlying asset in the transaction and who are the parties. Uh, that's where a lot of those future um, implications lie, I think. Yeah, because a lot of that you can right now do things like using tax data analytics. You know, we've got it for customs, GST, income tax, FPT, you name it, right? So the suite is all about using the data sets that we do get. And it's same similar with what the ATO does with, with data matching in, in acquiring that information and using it to determine the tax classifications. But I know that um, KPMG Origins is a platform that's also available now. So can you give an example of that as well in, in the in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And so KPMG Origins is a blockchain-based uh, track and trace system that helps participants in the supply chain share data about their products. Uh, so what we do when we uh, use the platform with our clients is we help them digitize the products that they uh, manufacture today and help share critical information about them. So that can be things like organic certifications or sustainability parameters. But I think, as I was mentioning before, it could be a particular GST classi classification linked to a tax analytics tool or maybe a free trade flag. And as the product travels and transforms through the supply chain, then a lot of the participants are able to enrich this data with new information, but also transact on top of uh, quite trusted information. So if you are you know, buying a bottle of wine uh, in an overseas store, you can be confident that the product is from Australia and you can even have a look at what are the grapes that went into it, which is something that you know we all as wine drinkers care about because um, that's what determines why we like the wine or not. <laughs> that's right. Sounds like a really fun job. And also, I guess the GSD component of that along the supply chain could also be captured in terms of the data of where it's been, what purchases have been made to actually build out that wine and also along the supply chain to export markets and the excise and, and, the, and potential uh, customs duty um, that gets on imports with no free trade agreements. Absolutely, and that's where a lot of the potential smart contract automation comes in because it's not just about the tax or, or the excise, but it's also financial transactions. So if you're able to connect, again, whether it's a central bank digital currency or some sort of a pre-cleared uh, currency mechanism, then you start to bring in potential automation into the supply chains, faster payment, uh, lower working capital requirements, obviously uh, interest from potentially tax office because they get paid maybe more in real time. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity to say, well, we've got this layer of trusted data, whether it's in the economy or in the supply chain, what else can we do with it? What kind of value can we extract from it? And, and, and certainly from, um, you, you know, wanting to just pull back from any suggestion that, um, you know, people should be paying their taxes any earlier than, uh, than they are at the moment. Um, I, I do think um, that there is some out that there is um, some opportunity to embed some um, tax information in that process, as you've talked about. So, you know, it might be things like, um, classification for GST purposes when it comes to food. So obviously, um, you know, with food being GST free or, or certain foods being GST free, if that can be captured through that sort of um, supply chain process and be validated and used by the people selling it to the consumers um, to get some certainty around that classification, that's, that's one element of it. Um, you know, another might be um, again, thinking about what sort of tax information at a, at a product level you might want to embed if you're talking about um, plant and equipment and capital assets, then 
um, having a process whereby, say, the um, commissioner's determination of effective life mm. can be built into that digital representation of the asset and that then used for your tax compliance purpose. Mm. Um, that you know adds, it, it enhances the governance around the selection of those effective lives and, and their application. Yeah, definitely. So the use cases are all coming up. It's sort of waiting for the technology to arrive to then develop that. And I think, you know, like we say with the World Wide Web, it's it's the regulations and things that'll that'll change and evolve as the use cases develop. So what do you think uh, is sort of a future of tax lens, what, where that might lead us in terms of having all this information available at the transaction level in real time? How might tax evolve? Oh, look, I, I, I think, you know, there's... If, if we talk about tax reform, we could do um, a, a number of very long podcasts on, on, on some of the challenges around tax reform, right? I think um, what, what we need to be doing at the moment is, is thinking about the, the opportunities that, this, that the digitisation, the tokenisation, blockchain um, can bring to adding um, integrity to the, co- to, to the existing compliance processes, right? Um, I think, you know, we're a long way from being at a position where um, there is likely to be enough information in any single um, digital ecosystem to be able to complete a whole of a, a, a tax return or a tax assessment. Um, but it, it is certainly about having that information um, available at a transactional level, being able to use it efficiently in a compliance process. Um, that, that would be the initial stages as to where I would see this going. Awesome. Great. Well, if you're interested in more on analysing transaction-level data for your tax compliance, uh, check out Tax Data Analytics at KPMG and also Google Tax Transformation at KPMG. And uh, uh, look, I'd like to thank our guest, Max Soroff, uh, Associate Director in the Blockchain Team, and Julian Humphrey, partner in our Tax Transformation Team. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Pete. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask us a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page, KPMG Tax Now Insights, for regular updates. That's all for now. We look forward to sharing more insights with you soon.